This is the Distinctly Detroit Podcast. The only pod that explores why one wants to be in the deep. I am your host, Fiota Ship III, the director of the University of Michigan Detroit Center. Join me as I interview students, scholars, leaders, and innovators about living, working, and loving in Detroit. On today's episode of the DDP, we have a U of M alumnus that graduated with a bachelor's degree in engineering and went on to get a master's degree in both engineering and architecture. He was born in the Dominican Republic, but grew up here in Detroit. He is currently the lead superintendent on the Michigan Central Depot Project. And the DDP welcomes Manuel Martinez Jr. Welcome, man. Glad to have you here. Thank you, thank you. Correction, a uh, little uh, correction there yes. is uh, this project superintendent. So I work in conjointly with a senior superintendent because I think last time uh, I had a little bit of uh, miscommunication on specifically saying the lead superintendent. Okay. So I just wanted to throw that out there. We're going to clarify some of that, all of that. But, um, your family is originally from the Dominican Republic. What prompted your uh, move to the United States? Um, my parents looking for a better future for me and my sisters. Um, as a parent, I, I'm blessed to have the parents that I have um, because my dad had a good career in the Dominican Republic. He was an optometrist. My mother was an accountant. Um, but the education system in the Dominican Republic is not what it is here in the United States. So we, my parents, um, they, they saw that at a very early age. My dad went to high school in New York. Um, so he saw the gaps and he started to really quickly analyze and you know say, this isn't gonna be the place where I'm gonna raise my kids. Um, because I, I lived in a pretty rough neighborhood in the Dominican Republic. So you know, when people say, oh yeah, Detroit's bad, but no, I, I love Detroit. Um, and that more or less would, was what initiated um, the process of my parents wanting to come to the United States. And on our end, for me and my sisters, that's, that's the big burden is making sure that my parents left everything they have back at home. We left all our families um, for us to get a better education. So I gotta make sure I'm giving that to my parents, 110%. Almost definitely. How old were you when you made the move? Uh, 10 years old. Um, we moved to Detroit. Um, funny story, one of my uncles uh, was the individual who told my parents, hey, there's a lot of work here. Um, my parents moved to Detroit, and within, what, maybe a year, my uncle moved to Miami. <laughs> and most of my, my family lives in Miami. Um, so me and my parents, yeah, the old hat trick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, um, they came to Detroit specifically because of the job opportunities. Um, and we came specifically to Detroit because my dad um, literally jumped the gun and just bought a house before we all moved here. And he, he was that committed to saying, I, I know what I want. We're moving to the United States. And 
bought the house, did everything he had to do on his end, and here we are to this day. So what was the transition like uh, coming from DR here to Detroit? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I grew up with a lot of 80s music because that was how I learned English. Okay. Um, I had no English um, classes growing up in the Dominican Republic. So the transition for me was initially very difficult. Um, traditionally, every weekend, um, my family, we Saturdays go to the beach. Uh, I grew up surfing. Uh, I go to the beach, have fun out there. Um, Sundays, family time, go to my grandma's house. Um, so moving away from all that, when you're used to doing it every single weekend, um, became extremely tough. Um, so leaving that for me at first was kind of like, I don't want to be here. Um, and then over time, as I started to have friends here, um, I played baseball. I don't know if that's just a typical Dominican thing. <laughs> um, playing baseball, I started meeting a lot of uh, friends here. Um, and everything just started to fall in place in terms of feeling comfort um, outside of what I'm usually comfortable with. Um, which goes to say, you know, sometimes the most uncomfortable experiences makes for the best over time. And I feel like that was my, my barrier. And as soon as I started to feel like this, this is home now, um, that, that more or less is what got me, you know what, just adapt, learn English, start uh, singing any songs and start trying to perfect the language. Um, and that was more or less that transition process for me, um, was moving here, getting um, the language barrier um, and the friends and the family. And as soon as I got comfortable with it, it's just focusing on the one thing, which is education. How often do you get back to the DR? Um, I normally would travel back. So growing up, um, we just came here for education initially. Um, and then every summer we go back to the Dominican Republic. Um, me and my sisters, my parents work. Uh, both of them have always been very hard workers, two jobs. Um, and then it wasn't until college, my first year of college that you know, I started getting internships, I started getting work, uh, or started working. Um, and that's where I just stopped for like eight years. And then it wasn't until I graduated that I was able to go back to the Dominican Republic. And spending that much time not going back um, hurt a lot, mainly because, you know, you start, the cousins that you grew up with, you start becoming a bit distant from them. And my biggest thing was I'm, I've always been very close to my grandparents. So that's where, you know, for me, I've made it a, a goal to make sure that I go back home um, as often as possible. Once a year nowadays, Okay, my goal. Okay. So as you got here, you made the transition. How did you find the school system here in, Det in Detroit or in the US? What were the school, how were the schools different um, yeah, so education overall, uh, very interesting because in the Dominican Republic, the education system, um, very, very different 
Um, at noon, everyone breaks, everyone goes home and goes out to, you know, back home, back to your home, uh, to your house to eat. Um, and then two hours later, you go back to school. So in terms of the, the things we did that were uncommon here, um, that didn't feel, felt a little weird. But in terms of the education itself, um, what you're learning, how you're processing information, if you're not a visual learner, you know, or a reader, how do you get that in information transferred over so that you can comprehend. Um, not knowing English and coming to the United States, the, the piece that I found is that the United States, at least Detroit Public School at the time, um, I went to the Academy of Americas and I feel that they did an amazing job because I had a class, unfortunately it was my recess time that got sacrificed. Okay. Um, but I had a class where every day I go to this class and I read for an instructor uh, or a teacher. And that alone was that one-on-one -on -one time I needed um, to be able to start picking up and getting motivated to learn English and to start, um, you know, that transition from Spanish to English. In terms of uh, the other courses um, that education has, um, you know, I went to middle school here, did high school here. So the comparison, um, I wouldn't be able to speak to that because, you know, here at DPS school, I feel like it, it was challenging and I saw that when I got to college. Um, but being able to understand that you have work to do and that others may have may have more education than you do, um, I mean that's no that's no barrier that stops you from getting to where you want to get to. So hope I answered that one. That was kind of a long stretch. That was great. That was great. Um, so what influenced you to choose the University of Michigan for your for college? Um, it was actually in this building. Um, oof, God bless his soul. Mr. Winfrey um, pulled Tyrone me aside. Winfrey. Mr. Tyrone Winfrey, the man, the myth, um, the legend, and forever an individual who will live in the heart of many of us. Um, he changed my life overnight, truthfully. I had no plans. Um, and, and it's crazy and it sounds um, kind of like hypocritical in a way because we came here for education. But once I got to high school, I had no intention of going to college. And Mr. Winfrey pulled me aside one day. He saw me here um, and he literally, hey, young man, come over here. And there was an event for graduate or um, high school graduates that got accepted to the University of Michigan. Um, he sent me, he sent me at that event, and that was the very first experience that I had, you know, with individuals that are as young as I was, having the next steps of life, kind of planned out. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, I don't even know what it is that I really want to do. I just had joining the military um, was one of the things that I had in mind, or what most uh, individuals in my community did, which is we just start working, help the parents out with the bills, start our families, and 
make it a habit every day to just wake up and go to work. So that that is the the reason as to why I started transitioning and started telling myself, you know what, college is going to be that next step because Mr. Winfrey, he believed in me. He saw something I didn't see myself and he pushed and pushed and pushed me to the point where he's like, so you're gonna apply, you're gonna apply to Michigan. I always did very well in school. I always had um, 4.0s um, or 3.9s, times which, right, right? But I was always up there in, in school and um, if it wasn't because of him, I don't think I ever would have took that leap of uh, faith and applied. And as soon as I got in, I knew I had a lot of work to do. Um, go blue. Sorry. <laughs> so then you got in. How did you come to choose engineering? Um, very practical. Always love numbers. Um, architecture as well. Um, back in the Dominican Republic, I was in a art school. Um, so this ties back to the background of what Dominican Republic was for me. Um, you're either growing up in the streets, uh, being a knucklehead, or you get to do things that keep you away from the streets. And my parents always try to keep us busy outside of not being out. You know, and we were young, we were kids, um, but they wanted to minimize the exposure to what that was and put us more on anything that brings any type of um, you know, a skill or anything that you can use versus being out and doing nothing all day. Um, so I had a, I always loved design. Um, so when I got to the University of Michigan, I knew that I was more or less going to aim for a degree um, such as engineering or architecture. Um, and it's crazy because not once did I think that's what I wanted to do um, in terms of planning it out. I think that senior year, Mr. Winfrey said, you got to go in with a game plan. You can't just go in there, be in there for five, six years. You got to go in there with a game plan. And when I sat down, um, that's more or less what helped me say, you know what, this is my game plan. This is what I'm going to go for. And if it's a challenging road, so be it, but this is what I'm going to aim for. So you did, you got a, a, you did undergrad in both engineering and architecture, or you did undergrad in just engineering and then did the master's in architecture? I did my undergrad in just architecture. Oh, um, in architecture. Yeah, I had a good friend of mine who, um, also by the name of Manny, I saw him designing a 3D model once, and for whatever reason, I fell in love with that. I, I said, I want to do that. And I don't know, I have this weird thing about me. It's like, I see something that I really like that I would say, you know, I would really enjoy where I see myself doing that. And I just do it. Um, it it's kind of one of those things where it's like, if, if you believe or you enjoy something, um, why not just go for it? Okay, so you've got your bachelor's in architecture and then you went to grad school for engineering and architecture. Correct. Right? Joint masters. Yep, yep. Okay, so you got three degrees from U of M. That's right. In some of the toughest area, toughest programs and areas 
so you got your master's degree. What was your kind of your first job after the, after you finished your master's? Um, I was an intern for the University of Michigan um, AEC, which was to, uh, I was part of the hospital team. Um, and architecture, engineering, and construction. Correct. So it was uh, the construction um, team, well, architecture, engineering, and construction. I was part of the construction team building out hospitals. That's how I got exposed to construction. Okay. So I more or less was aiming towards engineering side of things. Um, but as an intern um, with the University of Michigan, I, I was exposed. I mean, I had an individual, Ken Silverman and TJ, they took me under their wing and they more or less like taught me what construction looks like on a very complex scale because to build a hospital, I mean, it's very challenging. And it was a new language. So the cool thing behind it was in architecture, I learned how to make plans. Engineering, you can see some of the components, uh, you know, it kind of breaks it down by materials and things like that. Um, but then the construction side of things, you can actually get an overall understanding of, of how everything comes together to build it so that now this 2D um, concept that you want to, you know, me to build, now I bring it to life. And then the cool experience is to actually walk it and see that what was here on this sheet of paper is now this. So that, sorry, that, that was my first experience. And then right after that, I um, started working with the Crispin Company, which that opened up millions of opportunities. Um, Crispin Company, right now, we're uh, conjointly with uh, Crispin Brinker. Um, and this is me jumping the gun on some of the work experience. But um, what opened up a lot of opportunities is I was working for a project um, in Cuba. So that's what I was leading to. This, uh, an amazing, I mean, this project alone was um, the best thing that has ever happened to me. And it for, will forever be my favorite project. Um, so my very first official job, not as an intern, I started working with the Christmas company. Um, and that came about, you know, the Christmas company was working on one of the projects at U of M. And I heard nothing but great things about this company. Um, has a very good, rich culture, all the employees. It's almost like we're a family. Love it. Um, so with that, I was uh, given the opportunity to work on a project in Cuba. Given that I speak Spanish, it would help the project out. Um, and then the best part about it was that that project was so much of a high profile project that individuals working on this project, um, Ron Staley, one of our VPs, um, Mary Jo Adams, our Think of the Year client, um, and Bill DuPont, um, the team leader, um, architect out of UTSA, these, I, I was 110% fortunate to be surrounded by these individuals because individuals that are experts in their fields, when you surround yourself with that, yeah. it puts you kind of like in that same, um, well, I wouldn't say the same, but it, 
it makes you think a lot more on an issue and how to be a problem solver. So instead of just bringing issues, I was learning how to problem solve with individuals like this. And this project um, was the biggest challenge I've ever experienced because in Cuba, you don't have a Home Depot. You don't just go to the warehouse, say, hey, let me get a, a two by four, let me get this screw that goes in this specific, you don't have that. So we were building a preservation lab in Cuba for the Ernest Hemingway Museum. And we assembled and did the entire build out here in the United States. Um, where my experience came uh, with architecture was that I was also able to get some of the drawings and make it um, convert, very basic stuff, uh, but convert all the metrics to what we use to then send everything out for bid. Um, and then we did um, prefab, assembled everything in warehouses, and then dismantle, label every single piece, and then ship it to Cuba. Things with that is that you have zero room for mistakes. So given that I was um, surrounded by individuals that are very knowledgeable, and then I was given the opportunity to be part of this project um, to help out, and then it turned into, almost sad to say, but an obsession where I just love this project and I would try to find ways to to see how we can improve, how we can do something better. Um, as a team, you know, it wasn't just myself, of course, but that gave me the opportunity. Ron, um, our, my great mentor, um, basically had the trust in me and said, you know what, this individual is capable of doing this at a very young age. Uh, and let me roll with the project. And from there, it was kind of like, all right, let's do this. And that alone opened up a lot of doors um, and a lot of trust was built with what I'm capable of and me just trying to show what I'm capable of. So just, what was Cuba like? Uh, Cuba, amazing experience overall. Um, I never discuss any type of uh, politics, um, but very, very different from the states. Um, very, a lot of hardships, um, but all in all, rich culture, amazing people. Um, getting out there, we had a lot of challenges because construction, so construction here and construction in Latin America is very, very different. You know, I, OSHA, <laughs> literally uh, have a, a heart attack. Um, in Cuba, we had a lot of challenges uh, with our team, um, or not challenges, but more uh, or less opportunities to try and come up with ideas on how we can continue the construction um, at a good pace. Um, and those were some of the things that we were able to brainstorm and we had, I mean, it was amazing. Um, again, the team that I was with, very knowledgeable, and the, the opportunity to, to bring a team from the US and train a lot of Cuban um, skill trades, that you don't, I mean, 
Cuba hasn't done any type of, or the U.S. hasn't done any type of construction work since the embargo, you know, 1962. So to bring in individuals from the U.S. to train Cubans how to build and how to, you know, be, um, give them tools, the skill trades, um, that alone was just phenomenal. Yeah. And I was, I mean, I, till this day, I always pray a lot, but I was blessed to be part of that um, project. Yep. I asked about Cuba, I mean, it's on my this place I want to go, you know, the U.S. keeps changing the policy and making yeah. it easier, harder to go, but I just heard it's kind of like frozen in time, like the cars, you know, the cars are older, and technology yep. Yep. is just, it's really beautiful, the architecture. If, so if you go, you sure. definitely have to give me a call. Okay. Um, cars, if you if you love any historic cars, Cuba is the only place that you first want to visit. You know, there may be others, yeah. but the, the number one on your list should be Cuba. Um, architecture, same thing. Um, it's known or seen as international architecture, um, but that international architecture, the style, um, it it's just beautiful because it speaks, it has a language, it shows a story. Um, the, the decay on some of the buildings and how they're restoring and bringing them back up, it's just you can see some of the transitions where you walk through neighborhoods and you can see one area, it's very deteriorated and on the right side you have a beautiful hotel that's catering, you know, a lot of the tours, so you can okay. see that they're very skilled in construction and bringing things back to life. And yet, you also see the history um, and all else happening in Cuba. So, mix of realism <laughs> and the dichotomy between the spaces. Correct. Yeah, it's probably really strange to see, but one day I will get there, I will get there. Um, so now you are involved in a major project here in Detroit, uh, working on a historic building. Uh, you're involved in the redevelopment of the old train station, or train depot as they call it. I can never remember it. It seems like they're always changing the name. But, but uh, tell me about that project and you know, kind of what you're doing, how you're involved in that. So I'm going to take a couple steps back before okay. I answer that. Um, the year I graduated um, from undergrad, uh, back in 2012, I gave a friend of mine a phone call, and I said, hey, I want to go back to Detroit. I want to rebuild Detroit. And at the time, um, Detroit was already having a lot of investors. Things started to happen in Detroit. Um, and. With that, it's just been engraved in my head. Like, I, I want to see, I want to be part of, because my nieces and my nephews live here. My parents live here. My sisters. So for me, is it's not just for me. This is for the next generation. And, you know, I've been to beautiful places in Miami. I've been to beautiful places throughout the world. And Detroit has the opportunity to be that and more. So now, um, moving forward to the present, um, given the opportunity to work on a major project like the train station is literally, to say the least, a dream come true. Um, 
the train station itself is a beautiful historic icon that we will make sure it lives for generations to come. Um, the way we are rebuilding it um, for an amazing client, um, we're putting the team that worked there are top notch. Great team to work with on a daily basis. Um, my role specifically is a project superintendent. Um, and on a daily basis, my do's and don'ts are basically ensuring that we we go over a schedule, we're hitting our target dates, um, quality control, ensuring that you know everyone is doing everything that we're more or less uh, contracted to, um, and doing it safe. You know, it, it's the the best part behind it all is that we. We all leave home and we say goodbye to our loved ones and making sure that we get back home in that same form we left. It's uh, very important and I take safety on the job site very serious. Um, but then going back to the project itself, um, you know, once- well, just, want, just want to jump in right there. So for our listeners who may not know, you mentioned you're doing the work for a great client. Can you give a little bit more of a broader overview of what the project, who the client is, what the project, you know, who was it for? Yeah, so this is uh, for Ford. Um, yeah. Ford purchased the building in 2018. Um, and since 1988, the building was vacant. Um, a building that sits vacant for 30 years um, and just weather hitting every angle of it, um, you can see how tall the building sits on its site. So heavy winds, um, water spraying through everywhere. So there is a lot of deterioration. So the client um, made a great investment to say the least because the building does need a lot of work, yeah. but it, it's, it's an iconic building that represents Detroit, you know? So, um, I don't know, it, it's, it's one of those things where since the day it opened 1913, it opened up a, uh, about a year early because the train depot um, at the time caught fire. So this train station opened up and from the moment it opened up, um, it was a go, go, go. So uh, during the World War II, the average uh, amount of people through there was about 4,000. So in terms of pedestrian level, a lot of people, just heavy traffic. So this building for a lot of individuals, great thing is every time we have individuals that are older and that go visit, they talk about their experience. They're like, yeah, I remember my dad or my grandpa leaving here. I was a tiny kid. Um, so in terms of Ford purchasing this property, um, and building it, I think I know exactly, you know, they, they know what they're doing and they are committed to Detroiters because to bring a building uh, with such decay back to life, yeah. you know, you have to have love for the city. You have to have love for that community to be able to bring it back to life. So. That's dope. And when is the project expected to be completed? Uh, that that's uh, 
don't think I can disclose all okay. of that information. Okay. Okay. Um, but there's different stages. On time. Yeah, it, right now, <laughs> the project is going very well, actually. Um, it's just different stages. And we are getting ready to hit our first stage, but uh, coming soon. <laughs> so you mentioned that you wanted to rebuild Detroit. So what is kind of a potential dream project for you? Or what is something up there that you really want to do or, you know, down the road or something you want to do for yourself or something you really want to do big for the community? Um, oh, that's an amazing question. Um, for the community, so I have different sets of goals that I set for myself, right? Um, for career goals, um, personal goals, and my personal goals more or less also align with the, who I want to be in a few years. And my goal is to try and begin to be more involved with the city on different um, boards, um, such as the educational board. Um, I, I initiated that process with uh, Mr. Winfrey. Um, and, and the overall objective is to make sure that the next generation is just getting getting everything we can give them. Um, so specifically for me to sit here and tell you, hey, you know, this is what I have in mind. Um, there's no just one thing in mind other than being active in the city uh, to be able to help in every way that I can. To, you know, the first few years is always being a sponge. You absorb as much information as you can. Um, I am now seeing that I'm becoming, you know, I can't really say an expert, but I'm becoming a lot more knowledgeable in my field. So I have information and I can share information on how to do things, how to, you know, save money on specific projects because I do this for a living now. So Some people call that expertise. And correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that's actually my my overall goal is making sure that I can help um, the city with what I've been learning for the next for the, for the past few years, and then it kind of aligns with my personal goal. Um, I've been purchasing properties, and it's more or less to keep rebuilding Detroit. You know, it, it's not a big building that's going to make a family happy. It's also the homes that you built for the Detroiters. Um, that allow us to be here, allow us to, you know, have our cousins, our moms, our uncles nearby, you know, because um, that's another big thing that's been happening is a lot of renovations on the homes and making sure that we keep Detroiters here in Detroit, you know. Okay, that's cool. So um, as you say that, what do you see as some of the big opportunities and challenges for Detroiters or for the city or people who want to help rebuild and give back, what do you see out there in the community, in the, in the city? Um, I'm a big believer in, one, awareness. So being able to, and this goes for all of those that are in a position that could, you know, such as your platform. This is an amazing opportunity for the youth to be able to hear out what's out there 
Create awareness is step number one, because once you create awareness, you give the youth options on different things that they can do for their future, right? Um, second one is using your resources. I mean, the, the internet, you can learn anything you want. And I say that specifically um, because you don't have to be a Detroiter to know that if you want to learn about development or you want to learn about uh, finance, you want to learn just about everything, you can go on the internet and learn that. So with that, Detroiters have this beautiful program, the Land Bank. Detroiters have the opportunity to buy homes um, here in the city at a very cheap price. Of course, you know, you have to put in a bit of work, a bit of hours, um, and some personal money on it, but at the end of the day is, you can learn how to purchase your own home. You can learn how to do something carpentry and work on your own house. And you can also learn how to go through the process, rent it out. Now you're making an additional income. And at the end of the day, using your resources, everything is all there for you. And that's just one bubble, you know, and you have a million more to go. And as Detroiters, I think that we, we have the resources. A lot of investors are investing in Detroit, in Detroiters. Um, for high school students, so many scholarships and opportunities are out there. You just have to get online, look for them. And for us that have, it, have the opportunity to look back and say, um, bring awareness. Let the youth know what's out there. We're going to transition now to what we call our lightning round. Right. This, is, this is the area where we ask all our guests the same questions. And this is more about your experiences in and around the city or you know, your views of Detroit. And the first question is, what is your coney order? Oh, uh, my coney is usually wingdings, nine-piece. Um, I love it with ketchup. And depending on the day, I also get chili cheese fries with it. Uh, Verners or Fago? Fago. Great Fago. <laughs> okay. Uh, who is your favorite Detroit athlete? Uh, I, I, some people are going to hate me, but like, go blue. Hutchinson right now is just killing the game. Uh, yeah. Okay. Hutchinson. Okay. <laughs> Double homer, but I like it. Okay. Better made or Lay's chips? Lay's. Sorry. I know. My bad. <laughs> Deep dish or pan style pizza? Butter made barbecue would be over. Everything else. Deep dish or pan pizza? Uh, given that I have a lot of New York in my background with my parents and whatnot, I'd say. Uh, yeah, the pan. Oh, pan. Yeah. That's that New York piece. <laughs> okay. uh, favorite Motown artist? Or favorite oh, artist from Detroit? Oh my God. Can't even start that one. <laughs> hey, you would hear the typical Michael Jackson, uh, but Temptations, The Supremes, I love them. Uh, yeah. 
I can go on all day on that one. Okay. Favorite place to go in the city? Um, the Quindercut and the Riverwalk are my place of thoughts. So those are the places where I go, I walk, I sit, and I think. So those, uh, I'll say the Riverwalk. Okay. Favorite Detroit sports team? I love baseball, but this year's Lions are doing great. Red Wings are amazing. And the winner goes to the Tigers. Yeah. Tigers. Last question we have, where can we find you? Uh, online, Manuel Martinez. I'm not a huge social media individual, but I uh, do have a Facebook and Instagram. Um, and coming soon, hopefully, my own uh, LLC. We'll see. So you'll be hearing a lot more in the next 10 years. Stay tuned. Manuel Martinez is going to be a, a name ringing bells around Detroit. Okay. And we got him here first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so when he's big time, when we begged him to come back, you know, you know, we can go through the archives and he was here. But there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Manuel Manny Martinez Jr. Uh, shout out to Manny Martinez Sr. Amen. Uh, we love that guy. Great uh, shout out to Tyrone Winfrey's family. Uh, and that was a great man, and we enjoyed love working with him and all the work he did. And we're seeing the fruits of his life every day. Uh, this has been the Distinctly Detroit podcast. We thank you for listening. Uh, please, write, uh, please like, rate, share, listen. Uh, get us anywhere you can get your pods. Uh, yeah, I say one last thing. Shout out to my wife, Miranda beautiful babe i love you she is the buzz she is the reason why i stay motivated and i stay pushing every day uh, and my parents of course <laughs> all right so again get us uh get us anywhere you can get your pods uh we also want to say thank you to slow's barbecue uh for their continued sponsorship and support uh you can go to slow's uh, on Michigan Avenue to the sit-down restaurant or go to their to-go restaurant on, uh, on Cass Avenue. Uh, and uh, thank you all for listening. And until next time, I'm Fiona Ship, your host. And we appreciate you all. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Distinctly Detroit podcast. This is a production of the University of Michigan Detroit Center. And you can find us anywhere you get your pods. Please rate, review, and subscribe. This podcast is directed and produced by Marlon Franklin, edited by Taylor Henniger, with writing contributions by James Neely and Leah Allen. Thank you for listening. <laughs>